0: Well, if ever there was a picture of God's vision for humanity, I think you'd find it at the very end of Roald Dahl's very famous uh, book turned movie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I got to say a big thank you to one of our confirmation students, actually, uh, for pointing this out to me and for the rest of you. What I want you to do is set aside uh, what you may remember about this story, the search for the golden ticket the tour of the chocolate factory, the small army of Oompa Loompas uh, marching around. And I want you to picture uh, the final scene in this story. See, Willy Wonka takes Charlie and his grandfather in a magical ride in his glass elevator. They're just beginning to learn what it means uh, that Charlie's won the contest. And that's when Willy Wonka says, Charlie, I'm giving you the chocolate factory. Maybe you've seen the movie, uh, maybe you haven't, uh, but you can probably picture the uh, look of astonishment and and then curiosity that crosses Charlie's face. You're giving me the chocolate factory? It seems so obvious uh, to Willy Wonka. I mean, who can I trust to run the factory when I'm gone? And, And who can I trust to take care of the Oompa Loompas? And before Charlie can answer his question, Willy Wonka responds, not a grown-up. A grown-up would want to do everything his own way, not mine. That's why I decided a long time ago that I had to find a child, a very honest, loving child whom I can tell all of my most precious candy-making secrets. And a few moments later, the factory's yours, Charlie. You can move in immediately I and mean, it's almost like Roll dahl has genesis 128 in mind good god looks down on his good creation on humanity on on everything he created and he blesses it he blesses it and says be fruitful increase in number and maybe you remember what happens next god offers his vision for humanity, a vision for people like you and me, because he's got a plan and a purpose. You see, God looks down and says, I want you to fill the earth. I want you to fill the earth and subdue it, which is simply God's way of saying, I want you to take care of what I created. I I want you to rule over the fish of the sea. I want you to rule over the birds of the air. I want you to rule over every living creature that scurries around. And when God tells them to have dominion, when God tells them to rule and reign, he's trusting that they'll do it the way he would. I mean, that's why he decided long ago to make us in his image. And that's God's vision for humanity. That's God's vision for people like you and me. And that's the vision until we take God's good world and mess everything up. Now, just a couple of moments ago, uh, you heard a reading from the book of Hebrews. We need to know what the book of Hebrews is. Uh, It is one of the most uh, intricate and theologically rich books uh, that you'll encounter in the entire New Testament, which I suppose is another way of saying that when it's read out loud in church, you have to listen really closely. You now, we often call it a book or a letter. It's probably best characterized as a sermon, a sermon written by an unknown author, maybe Paul, maybe Barnabas, maybe Apollos, maybe someone else. We, we don't really know. But what we do know uh, is that it's written in the mid to late first century to a group of Christians with the hope that it will give them hope and encouragement during a time of persecution and difficulties and trials? When we read this book, uh, you discover one thing in particular. You you notice uh, that it assumes you know a whole lot about the Old Testament. I mean, it assumes that you know uh, that God not only made a good world and we messed it up, Uh, but that you know that god promised to put it back together through a man abraham and his family which goes on to include jesus it assumes uh, that you know that abraham's family becomes the nation of israel that that moses leads them out of slavery in egypt and that god makes a promise uh, a covenant with that nation and finally it assumes that you know that God promises to show up in a place called the tabernacle. That God promises to forgive sins through something called sacrifice. And, and that God, God promises to negotiate the conversation between us and him through people called priests. I mean, it just assumes that you know all of this stuff. And that's why when we read the book of Hebrews... We assume that it's written to a bunch of Jewish Christians because they'd probably know this too. Yet the book of uh, Hebrews, it also introduces something new. See, God, uh, God has spoken to us in the past through prophets. And this group of Jewish Christians that the preacher is preaching to would probably know this. But now, now God has spoken to us in a new way a superior way. God has spoken to us through his son. Over the course of this sermon, uh, the preacher unpacks exactly what this means, and it offers hope and encouragement. And when we land in Hebrews chapter 2, the place where the second half of today's reading picks up, uh, this preacher is reminding us of God's original plan, his vision for humanity. And... If you're a Jewish Christian living in the first century, and maybe even if you're a, uh, a modern Christian living in the 21st century, uh, there's at least one thing that would seem a little surprising to you. You see, you know that God is on a mission. I mean, he's rescuing and restoring uh, his good world that we messed up. But the culmination of that story The end of that story isn't us sitting on clouds with angels forever. I mean, that's not the end of the story. Instead, the culmination of that story is God's will worked out in creation through human beings with Jesus ruling and reigning over it all. You know, for a variety of reasons uh, that relate to first century Jewish expectations, this would have been really surprising. See, some people think uh, that God's vision for humanity is uh, a restored nation of Israel. You know, uh, the people getting back what was taken from them, the people getting back the the power that they lost. And other people, uh, they think that things are just too messed up. That God's just going to wipe away everything there is, and those who are faithful, those who are really, really faithful, are going to get to live with God and the angels forever. You see, God's vision for humanity, it's bigger than that. God's vision for humanity is His will worked out in creation through human beings with Jesus ruling and reigning over it all. You see, that's why uh, the preacher, the author of Hebrews, uh, begins the second part of today's reading with a reminder, a reminder from a a very familiar passage of Scripture. At least it's a very familiar passage of Scripture if you're a first-century Jewish Christian. You see, he quotes Psalm 8. And uh, just a minute ago, uh, we read Psalm 8. And if you've got a bulletin, Uh, with you this morning i want you to pull out your bulletin and find psalm eight it's located on page four Uh, it's written by king david it was written more than 3,000 years ago and what you notice is that david is noticing how insignificant we are as human beings and yet then he's noticing what god uses us to do and so i'm gonna read verses three and four Uh, But I'd invite you to join me then as we read verses 5 through 9. This is what David writes. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels, and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You see, as you read this, uh, David is reminding you of Genesis chapter 1. You know, picture Willy Wonka uh, in the glass elevator. Charlie, I'm giving you the chocolate factory. I'm trusting you to take care of it when I'm gone. And how does God want them to take care of it? How does God want them to rule and reign? He wants them to rule and reign the way he would. You see, that's not how the story goes. I mean, uh, of all people, Willy Wonka reminds us, uh, the grown-ups, they do everything their own way, not mine. I mean, we rule and reign like we're in charge. We rule and reign like it's our creation. We rule and reign and we forget about God. And it's from this observation that the author of Hebrews, the preacher, goes on to tell us what God does when things go horribly wrong. And on my quick show of hands, Uh, how many of you have ever seen uh, the Disney movie Hercules, or at least know the movie I'm talking about? All right, a few of you. You see, uh, the Disney movie Hercules is based on uh, the Greek myth about a god named Heracles. And I think there are at least uh, two really fascinating ways uh, that this movie tells uh, the myth that it's based on. Two really fascinating things about the way it tells this story. You see, the, the first thing, and, and I hate to burst anyone's bubble, uh, but the Disney movie Hercules takes a number of liberties in the way that it tells this myth. See, the Disney movie uh, Hercules is about a god uh, who is made human? God who is made human by the work of Hades and the movie, and, and this god is trying to reclaim his god status uh, throughout the film. Uh, but the Greek myth, Heracles, tells a very different story. See, uh, Heracles isn't a god made human. Uh, he's a god born to a human. Uh, he's God, the son of Zeus, born to a human, the queen of Thebes. That makes him a half-god and half-man, a fact that affords him certain privileges. Privileges like strength and power. Uh, Privileges that he uses to rule and reign. Privileges that he uses to subdue whatever he wants. That's why if you've ever uh, noticed uh, ancient Greek statues of Heracles, they often picture Heracles holding a club. and, uh, And he would use that club to destroy whoever got in his way, and Heracles, Heracles, I would contend, presents a, a certain vision for humanity, a vision that says, uh, I'll do whatever I want, and because I've got strength, because I've got power, because I've because got a really big club, I'm gonna do what I want, and he usually gets what he wants if you know some of the stories about Heracles. You know, uh, while it doesn't always uh, involve a club, I think this tends to be humanity's vision for humanity as well. You know, God, I'll do whatever I want and I'll use whatever you've given me to make that possible. You ever seen this? You ever lived like this? Because I think we all have and I think we all do almost every single day. You see, here's, uh, here's the second really fascinating thing uh, about Hercules and, and Heracles. You see, uh, ancient Greek mythology has uh, a special name for Heracles. They call him the Archegos, uh, the hero, uh, which also gets translated into things like the founder or the author or the pioneer. And here's the, uh, the other really fascinating piece. This is the same word that the author of Hebrews, the preacher, uses to describe Jesus. See, so he observes God's original plan, His vision for humanity, God's will worked out in creation for human beings. I mean, this is why author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 8, but he reminds us that we don't see this vision all around us. Instead, we see humanity's vision for humanity. We see God. I'll do whatever I want, and I'll use whatever you've given me to make it happen. And we see this in business. We see this in politics. We see this, we see this around the dinner table. I mean, have you ever seen uh, someone get into an argument, an argument that they have clearly lost, and yet an argument that they are unwilling to give up? because this is humanity's vision for humanity i'll do whatever i want and i'll use whatever i've got to make that happen you see we don't see god's vision for humanity that's what the author of hebrews tells us but we do see jesus and that's when he reminds us of that psalm 8 uh, isn't just about what we have failed to do it's also about what jesus has already accomplished because he became a little lower than the angels. He did what we couldn't. And because he is crowned with glory and honor, not by beating up his enemies with a club, but by suffering and dying on a cross, we receive a promise too. And this is why Jesus is our archegos, our hero, our author, our pioneer, because he leads the way. He leads the way from the place where we are, sin and death and destruction to a place of glory and honor, a place of new life and salvation, a place where there is a second chance at God's vision for humanity. Now, I've often uh, heard it said that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, uh, is both the most beautiful and yet also the most counterintuitive story that's ever been told. And just picture it. Jesus, the hero, enters a world of rebellion. He comes on the scene to conquer his foes. And, and how does Jesus win? How does Jesus get glory and honor? He achieves glory and honor by giving up his life, by dying on behalf of his enemies, by giving them, by giving us what we don't deserve. I mean, we create this world of sin and death and destruction, and Jesus takes it on himself and he takes it to the grave. But you see, there's an empty tomb. Jesus is risen, and so we know that the enemy is defeated. We know that Jesus, our Archegos, wins. You know, as a, as a close, uh, I think this means three things for us today. First, it means that right now, God's vision for humanity, his will worked out in creation. For human beings, with Jesus ruling and reigning over it all, it means that that vision will one day prevail. We have certainty of this. I mean, the tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. But second, it means that we live in this in-between time. I mean, we we know that Jesus wins, assuming that this is the way that Jesus would want us to describe that. We know that Jesus wins, uh, but we're still waiting for him to rule and reign over it all. And so we don't see what Psalm 8 describes, but we do see Jesus. And so finally, uh, I think this is also the most important part. We get to live like Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. Because in a sense, uh, he already is. I mean, we know how the story goes. We know how the story ends. And so we get to turn the other cheek We get to walk the extra mile. We get to love our enemies because we know that our story, our story ends with Jesus. And so we get to live like it's true right now. And so may God grant you the hope and the strength and the courage to do just that. In the name of Jesus, our Archegos, Amen.